The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen. Welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast. This is episode number 19. And if you are listening to us and you are listening and want to give us a rating on Podcast One or iTunes, we would really appreciate it. Ratings help podcasts like these get noticed and more people to listen. Also, if you're a regular listener and you want to share us on your Facebook page, we really appreciate that. You can find Makers of Minnesota on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. We also have a Twitter account. And any way that we can spread the love for each other, for these great Minnesota makers that we are meeting, would really be appreciated. And as we get to episode 19, you know, we've talked a lot with people that have products or they've developed technology. And in this particular instance, we're going to talk to a man who I think has been called the mayor of Minneapolis a few times. It is Scott Mayer. Um, welcome, Scott. You are the founder and the creator of various events in town from the Ivy Awards, which is a theater awards, to the Charlie Awards, which is a restaurant recognition program for the Twin Cities. And then you have One Man Minneapolis. Welcome to the show. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to talk to you. And I'll tell you why, because you'll think it's kind of funny. So you and I have known each other for a number of years through just working in radio and promotional and events. Yeah. And I remember sitting down with you um, for breakfast one morning, and you started talking to me about this idea of this man pageant that you wanted to have. And I, I was so struck by the idea. Can you explain to me the concept of your man pageant as you conceived of it for One Man Minneapolis? Well, ultimately, I started to kind of rue the the day that I called it a pageant because the uh, the slang term that a lot of people use for the one man project is a mangent, and I don't know if that word. I've was... never even heard that. That's funny. <laughs> I don't know if that word was invented specifically for the one man project or not, but uh, I'm all about any news is good news, and so yeah. if people want to call something a mangent, let them call it the mangent. Um, and to your point. The One Man Project started off on kind of a lark, um, as something fun to do, as an as a uh, antidote, perhaps, to um, beauty pageants for women. It's like, hey, there's all these pageants for women. Yeah. Maybe we could come up with something that is for men and have some fun with it. Well, for better or for worse, everything took uh, a turn for the serious, and... And as the One Man Project is now evolving, uh, I believe it has huge potential um, for the entire country, actually, because it really solves some problems that um, I believe exist in America today. And the mission of the One Man Project is to get more men engaged in the community. Okay. And the reality is is that um, uh, men between the ages of 24 and 44 are the most difficult men to get to volunteer. They are the hardest demographic to recruit. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. So funny you say that because I remember two times, like once I tried to sign my husband up to be like a parent that volunteered at the chess club, 
And he was so mad at me. He was like, do not sign me up to volunteer for things. My volunteering is employing people because we owned a company. Uh. So he really viewed his like ownership of a company as that was his charitable contribution. And I was like, well, that doesn't count. You have to do more. But I, I think that is true. And I never thought about that. There, Most of the volunteer stuff I do, there are few men. Well, and as I said, there's lots of reasons for that. I think that um, men do volunteer at uh, a lesser rate than women do, do, but not significantly. The problem is that the um, incentives for men to volunteer and for women to volunteer are fundamentally different, almost 180 degrees different. Um, women um, most often, and I'm going to speak in generalizations sure. here, but women most often volunteer out of an emotional response. They'll see something on TV, they'll read about something, they'll hear something on the radio, and it'll tug at their heartstrings and they say, oh my God, I want to do something about mm-hmm. this. And they'll they'll look online, they'll find the organization to volunteer for, they'll give them a call and say, how can I help? Yep. Men almost never are proactive about volunteering. Men really rely on someone directly reaching out to them and saying, I want you to do this. And that person that most often reaches out to them and who they most often respond to is their employer. Right. Men, for the most part, volunteer because they think it's going to get get them somewhere. To further their career or advance something. Exactly. Women almost never volunteer for that reason. Women volunteer because, as again, from an emotional perspective. Another example is that women... Um, volunteer because they think it would be a fun social activity. Yeah. I'll volunteer and we need with community. Yeah, or, yeah. I'll volunteer with people like me or I'll get my girlfriends to come out and we'll do this. Um, it'll be fun. Men almost never think of volunteering as a social opportunity. They're like, okay, tell me what to do. And I'll do it. And I don't need a bunch of folks me, around right, me. Right, right. You know, if you want me to inventory a warehouse, I will. You want me to uh, coach Little League? I will. But I'm not doing it for a social experience. Whereas women would even be, we did a ton of uh, focus group work, and women would tell us, hey, we're not ashamed to admit we're doing it maybe to meet a, to meet a guy, to meet our significant right. other. Because, hey, if a guy's out there volunteering, chances are he's a pretty good guy. Right. And when we mention that to men, they're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I am not here to meet a chick. Yeah, I am not here to meet anybody. I'm here to volunteer and do something, you know, get something accomplished. So um, that's so funny. So for all of those reasons, um, men respond much differently. And the the fact remains that the overwhelming majority of nonprofit organizations are, in fact, run by women. And so when women are looking for volunteers, they're approaching it from that – female perspective. Sure. And so, gee, what would interest me in volunteering? I need to, you know, have it be a social opportunity. I need, you know, and so they're, for the most part, approaching the situation incorrectly. And so the One Man Project is really about coming up with ways to get more men to volunteer and fill that gap. Because I'm telling you, we rolled out the project here in the Twin Cities but uh, subsequently went on to Chicago and Dallas. And um, in Dallas particularly, the waiting list for uh, uh, Big Brothers, Boys Club, organizations that depend on male mentors, 
the waiting list is unbelievable. They've got plenty of women volunteering to be big sisters, but they can't find guys. Interesting. And so that's where the One Man Project comes in, because we think we've got some really great ways to get more men to step up to the plate and say, hey, I can be that volunteer that makes a difference. Okay, so this has evolved a lot since when you and I first talked about it. So let's discuss um, how you would describe what is the One Man Project. So the One Man Project um, is based city by city. And so what we do is we go into a city and we um, uh, look for really great guys in that demographic um, between the ages of 24 and 44. Okay. We look for guys that reflect the uh, the diversity of the community. And so uh, we uh, meet with any nonprofit that will meet with us. We meet with women to find out who great guys are. We meet with men themselves. And we ultimately have a group of um, – we ultimately ask uh, any man that would be interested to apply to participate in the one-man project in that particular city. Um, in each community that we went into, we received about 250 applicants um, in each city. And then a group of community leaders chose the 20 guys that they thought best reflected that community. Okay. From a variety of, of factors. Um, and these guys each were affiliated with a nonprofit organization. Um, once those 20 guys were selected, um, they were then, they met. And they were then charged with creating a community service project that had as its goal attracting more men as volunteers. And uh, and uh, those community service projects were amazing. Uh, these men really proved that when put to the test, they can be extremely creative, extremely resourceful, and really utilize their group of male friends to make something out of really nothing. Um, We also held a series of happy hours where the community could come together, learn about the community service projects, really learn about these guys, and learn about the nonprofit organizations that they are affiliated with. And then ultimately, um, after the community service projects were held, um, the community got to vote for the guy that they thought best represented their community. We had um, a, a group of community leaders, again, come in and um, uh, create have an interv- interview scenario with these guys. And then one guy was selected to represent the community for the, for the consecutive year. Wow. So um, was there an event or is it more community-driven like your other events, Ivy Awards and the Charlie Awards, sort of culminate in a big celebration and an event that people can attend. Is this the same? It is. Um, there's a method to my madness. You know, there's yeah. uh, some consistency here. There is a big event because, um, in my mind, I think it's really important for community to come together to celebrate things. I think that that's one thing that we don't do enough of as a community. And so this brings together people who really believe in volunteering, they believe in supporting our nonprofit community, and they want to celebrate some really great guys. Uh, Especially um, in Dallas, I think it was, uh, the project was extremely successful for a couple of reasons. And one of them is that Dallas is in the South. 
Right. And the South has a huge tradition of women doing all the volunteering. And that's still true in Dallas to a large extent. Um, the two very largest fundraisers in Dallas, you you can't volunteer if you're a guy. You have to be a woman. Okay. And so they were like, oh, my God, finally, you know, an opportunity to get men more engaged in, in what's happening in the community. Right. And so they were all about it. And they loved coming together with a culminating event that really put the focus on these great guys. Can you give me an example of one of the service projects that they created? Yeah. Um, one of the the uh, service projects that really was inspirational to me was um, a 5K run. And I can re- the, the guy who created this project, his name is Ryan Harms um, from Dallas, and he created this 5K run for all of his buddies to run for a, a nonprofit organization that benefited homeless shelters. What was so cool about the project was that he paired every one of his buddies with a guy who was in a homeless shelter. And so for, I think it was three months before the actual race, he had them out there every week running as a couple, you know, as two guys. Wow. And what happened was, as you might suspect, these guys, some of them are still running today. Mm -hmm. And every last guy that was employed and had a place to live and, and, and all the comforts of living in a community learned so much more from these homeless guys than the homeless guys ever learned from these other guys. Sure. Learning lessons about life. It was just incredibly inspirational. And everybody came out of that project a winner. And And changed in some way. And changed. And it did what it was supposed to do because some of these guys who never volunteered before are now and doing it in a really interesting, unique way. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, were any... This is maybe a really trite answer or question, but were any of the homeless men able to turn around their situation that you're aware of and become more present in their communities? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I oftentimes thought I need to check up on this, but um, with all the community service projects in every community, I haven't been able to. Yeah, because it just seems like I've done yeah, a lot of work great. with homeless people and homeless shelters and um, sometimes if you can get past whatever the issue is that's presenting them to be homeless, sometimes it's substance abuse, sometimes it's mental health, um, they can make a huge difference. And sometimes it's just one person caring about someone, right? Absolutely. So that is very cool. And that has changed a lot from our original man pageant status, um, which is one of the cool things I think about you too is You've been involved in so many different events throughout the Twin Cities and other markets, and you evolve and you change based on not only what your sort of initial vision is, but what the vision ends up being of that community that you're serving. Right. I think it's um, really important to kind of let projects like this breathe, you know, and evolve to be what the community is looking for them to be. I... So while the One Man Project does have a serious mission and uh, has goals and objectives that I think can make a huge difference in the community, I still think it's important to have fun. 
And so that's why when people call it a mangent, I'm like, hey, I'm all about that. Because (laughs) you want it to be fun. We want guys that look great because if they're going to represent the community, you know, you want somebody that other guys can look up to, you know? And so um, having fun with it and doing some funny things that um, women for many years have done if they're participating in a pageant circuit is part of what this is all about, too, you know? And so um, I've gotten lots of input um, each and every time we put on an event, do a project, and I really do take it to heart because uh, you want to make sure that it resonates with whatever community is that it is that you're trying to attract. What was it about you... Um, that started down this road? I mean, were you a marketer? Were you an event producer? Like, you're in your own business now, and you're totally on the line when you're doing these events. You're funding them. You're getting the sponsors for them. What is it about your career that has led you here? Well, I thought I never really had an interest in event work or anything similar to that. But then um, at one stage, my parents reminded me that you know, when I was in the sixth grade, I was organizing dances for our high school, you know. <laughs> I was like the first, you know, the first kid in small town South Dakota to have an all-girl band perform at a dance, you know. Yep. Um, but uh, more to the point, uh, I realized that I had an interest and, in, you know, maybe where my skill set laid uh, was when um, the AIDS crisis hit and, it impacted the community so significantly. I um, started as a volunteer to raise money for AIDS organizations and created um, what ultimately became the first Oscar Night America party here in the Twin Cities where around Academy Awards Night, we put together a big event and ultimately attracted over 4,000 people to it. Um, We had it at the Orpheum Theater, at the State Theater, and at Mall of America simultaneously. And it was then that I thought, you know, I'm not very good at making things look pretty like a typical event planner can do, but I do enjoy relationships and I do like um, uh, having the opportunity to make something work, primarily through fundraising. And not a lot of people like fundraising. Not a lot of people like asking. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Yeah. And so I like it. Um, It presents uh, an opportunity to people. And so... Um, that uh, volunteer work kind of steered me in the direction that I'm in today. And you're alone. You you work for yourself. You employ a couple of people. Is it, I mean, how nerve-wracking is it to have a budget for an event and you have to go out and find the money and use that money to fund your employees, fund yourself, create your business? I mean, if you don't go out and get it, it doesn't happen. That's scary for a lot of people. Yeah, I would. I have to acknowledge that's the most challenging part um, because I'm always mindful of the need to have the money to make it all work. Um, most everything else, marketing, the execution, the ticket sales, I mean, that's all in a sense secondary because even if you can't afford optimal marketing, you can do a little marketing sure. you know, for something. With fundraising and making sure that a project can happen, the best ideas in the world remain just that, an idea, unless they can be funded. And I'm not interested in executing something that is less than the vision I had for it. And so if something's going to be shoddy 
or less than professional, I really I don't want to do it. And so it really is incumbent upon me to make sure that there is the funding to accomplish those goals and objectives. And I got to say, it is it's kind of a 24 seven, 365 job because I'm always looking in the newspaper, listening on the radio, you know, oh, gee, it's a new company in town that, uh, you know, sells this kind of widget. Gee, maybe they would be a good sponsor for something. Right. Yeah. And are you always networking? And even when you don't necessarily have a place for someone in your mind, would you go and have that meeting with the company? Or do you think of like, I want to execute this particular thing at this event and this would fit with that person and then you go get the money? Um, Typically, uh, fortunately, I really enjoy people. I love meeting people. And so I try whenever I have a little bit of a down time, you know, a few weeks where I'm not in the throes of an event, I love just setting up coffee dates. Right. And so I'll reach out to people that I don't really know very well at all but um, would like to get to know. And that's, for me, the ideal networking scenario. I don't think um, going to a happy hour, um, you know, that is um, for uh, – well, I certainly don't <laughs> – I don't consider myself very uh, uh, applicable to going to, to a young professional's fundraiser, <laughs> but there's lots of those. But a comparable fundraiser or a, com- uh, a comparable happy hour like that, you know, it sometimes isn't really all that successful because do you really get to meet anybody? No, you're just kind of making small talk with a bunch yeah. of people. What I like doing is just really reaching out to people that I don't really know much about but think – gee, they seem kind of cool, or I bet I bet they are really talented, or I bet they're smart. And invariably, I walk away like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I got to meet this person. Um, just uh, the other day, um, I uh, reached out to a woman who volunteers as a photographer for the Ivy Awards, and mm-hmm. I don't really didn't really know anything about her other than I knew she was a good photographer. Well, in 45 minutes, I learned so much about this woman and was amazed at her skill set. And I know that we're going to work together or meet together again. Do people Uh, say, so if you're coaching someone that's listening, because I actually know a couple people that do what you do. They find someone that's interesting. They call them and say, hey, I think you're interesting. Could we get together for coffee? And it's amazing the connections that they've made out of those really innocent coffees. How do you, like, Tell me what a coffee date like that call sounds like. Because do people just say, oh, yeah, sure, Scott, I'll go to coffee with you? Or do they ever, like, because people think they're so busy and people think they don't have time. Well, strangely, and frankly, I reach out to almost everybody on Facebook. Really? Um, That's yeah. fascinating. Well, I love Facebook uh, just both personally and professionally. Yeah. And I think Facebook really works best when you don't know somebody at all or very well because they can see that you're a real person. Oh, so Scott Mayer has a face. Yep. They look at my profile. They learn a little bit about me. And maybe we have a friend in common, which is the best because they know they can either contact the friend or like, okay, he seems like a, a you know, he doesn't seem like he's going to attack me, you know, if we have coffee. So, um <laughs> So I love Facebook, and frankly, the great percentage of time people are going to say, sure, yeah. let's have coffee. You know, and if somebody doesn't get back to me, you know, I kind of figure, well, you know, it might be their loss. I mean, 
it's tough. I know there's periods when everybody's so busy that it's hard to make take 45 minutes for um, anybody that they don't know. But most everybody has some time during their month that they can squeeze in a, lull, a, yeah. squeeze in a coffee. You know, a really um, fun story about this and, and the use of Facebook is that um, I read this tiny story that was maybe two paragraphs long in the New York Times several years ago, and it talked about this new dating app called Tinder. Uh-huh. And it was literally nothing. Yep. And they just mentioned the guy's name. And what attracted me most about it was that it was um, not um, tuned uh, specifically to either heterosexuals or homosexuals. It was for everybody. Yep. And I thought, wow, that's really inventive and innovative. So I went online. Sure enough, this founder from New York had a profile. I sent him a message and I said, hey, I'm doing an event in Washington, D.C. I think Tinder should sponsor it. Honest to God, in 10 seconds, I got a response. Sure, let's talk. And it was literally before Tinder was really Swipe right anything. or swipe yeah. left. Yeah. I, I remember joining Tinder, and, you know, whenever I went on the app, there were two other Tinder users in the Twin Cities, both, you know, like 16-year-old girls. Yep. <laughs> I, you know, it's like, yeah, we're probably not too interested in each other. But, but that's funny because yeah, it's, it's so amazing. blown up. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, the point being is that uh, social media can be an amazing way to get to know people. Yeah, I really am with you on finding just amazing connections in that way. And, you know, people are like, oh, Facebook is so this and so that sometimes – I think it's amazing too. I yeah. I finally I I I enjoy it. I utilize it. I use it for work. I I'm with you. I think it's really an amazing tool and getting better all the time. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, when you look at what you can see um from analytics, it, it's amazing yeah. what you, what you can find on Facebook. And people that complain and say it's too much of this or that, how much do they have, they pay for it? I mean, it's yeah. free. And there's no privacy. Like, yeah, you're right. There is no privacy, but it's not a private world anymore. Right. And I feel like that kind of has shifted. And to have this um, ability, to have this resource at your fingertips that doesn't cost you a penny, I mean, it's free. <laughs> Pretty amazing. amazing. Yeah. All right. So tell me, um, uh, the One Man Project is your big project. You also are about to have your Charlie Awards. Do you want to put in a plug for the Charlie Awards? Of course. Uh, the Charlie Awards celebrates the food and beverage industry here in the Twin Cities. And um, it's unique in the sense that it really is about celebrating the community. Um, the challenge is that there are so many food events in every community that it's sometimes hard to really kind of break through the the clutter and say hey come to the come to my event versus right. come to one of many other phenomenal events but um it is a differentiator in that it's really just about celebrating the community and allowing everybody that's part of the food and beverage community whether you're a chef waiter manage a restaurant you um sell for um general mills or land lakes or uh what or you're a foodie you can all come together just kind of pat each other on the back on one afternoon and say hey this is a pretty good food town um and so the event is really all about um bringing people together it's an awards show the awards is really secondary to just having a lot of fun on a particular sunday afternoon and the awards that you're doing um for 
this project and then also the Ivy Awards, which we'll get to in a second, are really recognition-based versus, like, the best of. And that is a kind of different strategy. You're the first person that I could think of in our community that has actually recognized, like, people in the back of the house. Yeah, I I think that it's really important for um, us to not um, feel like we're the litmus test or that we can be subjective enough to know what the best restaurant is in the Twin Cities or who the best chef is. We'll leave that to the James Beard Awards. The Charlie Awards is just about recognizing all of the great um, talents and skills of the entire community and recognizing that it does take everyone to come together to create a really uh, terrific food and beverage community. This year, for example, we're really putting a focus on farmers. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, there's a huge um, farm-to-table movement, um, but it's really about taking a look at, gee, the over 600 farmers just in the Twin Cities and and. Um, slightly greater area that really make um, our food taste so good. And we're going to be inviting all of those farmers to come to the Charlie Awards, be recognized, and to start some dialogue between the restaurants and and the chefs. Because there's even though there's so much farm to table, there's still, I think, a lot of um, um, ambiguity and assistance that can be can be provided to make it easier for farmers and chefs to work together. Yeah, it's surprising that there is not, and people are working on this very, a lot of people are working on this problem or challenge. You know, a farmer has products, and how does he get them to the restaurant community unless they go sort of door-to-door and have these onesie-twosie-type relationships? There isn't a great way for this distribution system to happen for some of these farmers Um, So I know, again, a lot of people are working on this challenge, and I think it'll get sorted out. But it's kind of funny. You know, that's what the food service community sort of has on this smaller, local, sustainable piece is they just don't have a way to reach out and make these connections in the way that, you know, a U.S. Foods might or somebody like that. Yeah, and there's, you know, the tension of, gee, how do we use local produce and keep it affordable so that the customer is still interested in coming to our restaurant? And to your point, there are a lot of people working on this very issue, and I know that it's all going to be, it's all, it is all going to be resolved because there's too many people that wanted to make it happen. For yeah, it I feel happen, like it too. You know? I feel like it's just going to take some time. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about the Ivy Awards. Those are your theater awards. Um, that's actually... The event that um, uh, is the most mature, um, it has just completed its 12th year. Gosh, have um, you been doing it that long? Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty amazing. Some years it seems like, you know, 12 months and some years, sometimes it's like 12 decades, yeah. you know. But uh, the Ivy Awards was created as an outcome of my work for Target Corporation. Um, I was at Target working in community relations and... I had the opportunity to travel around the country and visit all of our uh, arts uh, fundees, which at that time were mostly theaters. And I thought it was very uh, striking that all of these other cities had events celebrating their theater community. And here we in the Twin Cities have one of, if not the most vibrant theater communities. And we have 85 professional theaters. And we were doing nothing to celebrate that. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what... Um, I became really 
uh, passionate about is how do we really put a spotlight and focus on our phenomenal theater community? And so um, I I have literally no theatrical skill. I knew very, very few people in the community. Which is funny when you're kind of the P.T. Barnum of the whole thing, right? <laughs> well, in, in some ways, but, you know, I don't have to stand on a stage and tap dance. Um, but I put together, I got together these people and said, hey, you know, if we could do anything imaginable to celebrate the theater community, what what would we do? And, you know, it could have been let's do workshops, let's do an email newsletter, let's, you know. And everybody said a party yeah. um, because we never get a chance to get together just, you know, uh, like the food community and everybody sure. else. And so um, and so it was uh, that that's how the Ivy Awards was born. And we're very fortunate to have sold out year the past couple of years. And uh, uh, it's it's been a really great ride. Yeah. And it's uh, something that the community needed. And I think really appreciates that you do for them. Um, it's all of these are kind of a, a labor of love. Do you always think about like, what's the next thing? Or I know a lot of energy is being focused on one man. Um, do you think there's a next thing after that? Are you always percolating on ideas? Well, there's always, it's always fun to be thinking about new ways of doing things. And gee, is there a demand for something that's currently not being met? Um, I had a big birthday, um, just recently. And so, I, um, which has led me to think more about, gee, you know, where is my career going to end up? And I do think that, you know, I've got something left uh, that I really want to devote some passion and energy around. And so that might be um, an event that already exists or it might be something that doesn't exist right now but you don't know what that is or you have some idea and you just don't want to share yet um well i i really i really think that um it's probably related to the work of the one man project because um when i look at a lot of the problems that we are facing in america um i think of gun violence especially Mm -hmm. but um domestic abuse sexual abuse um, sexual so, trafficking. So many of our problems are caused by men. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm really thinking that um, the role that men play in our society and can play as mentors for the next generation of youth is a really good place for me to be thinking about. Using That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, it's interesting when I think about a lot of those problems, I think about uh, poverty and I think about addiction. Um, it's interesting that the way that you think about them is, is that men and how do we teach that next generation of men how to act as men, I guess. Yeah. And what I'm, what I think is interesting is that finally um, there's some professional athletes who are stepping up to the plate and saying, Hey, we got to be part of the solution. We can't be part of the problem. And, you know, it's it's devastating to me. I, You know, uh, personally, I think that professional football has the most room to grow. I mean, there's a lot of whether, – whether professional athletes want to acknowledge it or not, they are the role models for today's kids, yeah. for today's boys. And they don't want to be necessarily, but they are. Yeah, they yep. are. And, and they don't know how to be. Yeah. And so – I'm so happy that a few of them are saying we need to step up to the plate and, and act like adults and be role models. 
Um, same goes true for, you know, same is true for um, entertainers, yep. you know, in the music industry, yep. et cetera. Um, so I'm hoping that things are slowly going to evolve because until adults act uh, like the responsible people they need to be, things aren't going to change. And so if some project can help work towards that goal, then that's that's a good thing. All right. Well, I imagine you've got something up your sleeve, so we'll be anxious to see what that is. We've been talking with Scott Mayer. Um, we call him the mayor of Minneapolis unofficially. He has the Ivy Awards, the Charlie Awards, and the One Man Project. If people want to get a hold of you or want to have coffee with you or share in your ideas, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Facebook. Okay. All right. I'm on it. I believe it. It's Scott Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R. You got it. Reach out. All right. So we're going to go ahead and thank you for coming into the podcast today. Thank you, Stephanie. Stay tuned for 60-second AP News Headlines.